This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Okay, well this is um, part two of the seminar Keys to Growing an Effective and Vibrant Prayer Ministry. And today Jim and I are specifically sharing uh, some of the some of our testimonies behind the scenes testimonies and I know some of you said you've already heard my testimony um, so you're going to hear some repeat today because you know our testimonies are testimony of course God is adding to it as we go along and there's new things that he's doing in our lives but still how it started and things along the way it's still the same story so um, there is going to be some some overlap and and repeat um, today. Hopefully we can keep this microphone up here. So uh, let's just pray one more time before we begin. And Jim, at some point I need your phone or something up here because I have no sense of time. I'm going to lose track of time up here. And I think I have far too much to, to share. But anyway, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, For the privilege of prayer, we just praise you that even when we were not seeking after you, you were seeking after us. And we would not be here, Father, if it were not for the beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit who is drawing our hearts and and pulling us to desire you and to hunger for you and to thirst for you. And so we just thank you for this gift. We thank you for answering our prayers even before we knew how to pray those prayers. And I just pray um, that you will bless this presentation. Give me the words to say, Father, I'm struggling to know what to share, and there's a lot um, what to focus on and what not to, and I'm just asking that you would be with my words and that you would be glorified and lifted up. Thank you, Father, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So a little bit behind the story of daring to ask for more. Here's a picture of my uh, family. I grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist home, and I'm very thankful for that. I consider myself very blessed because I know many don't have that privilege uh, as a young person. Um, but I, had a, I have a, a wonderful family, and God has been very good. It's not... Picture perfect, we always have our struggles, um, but I've really seen um, God's goodness and his leading over the years, and so I just praise the Lord for that. But I, you know, I, one of my favorite verses comes from John 10, 10. I think I have it here on the screen. I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I believe that this is what God is calling us to. But you know the first part of this verse, what it says The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so his purpose and desire is to keep us from experiencing that abundant life. And that's what he's constantly doing. And one of the ways that he, um, he does it is, is just the culture, um, that he, that, that, um, he leads us, um, in. And that is the wilderness experience. And Jim shared some of this in his own testimony. In fact, I was thinking as I was listening, and I've heard his testimony before, but there were new things that, uh, he reminded me of today as he was sharing that there's a lot of similarities in our testimonies um, because we were in the church and, and all those things, but we were lacking that deeper experience. I really believe um, that, you know, what happened with the children of Israel being called out of Egypt, we know God called them out of Egypt, but his purpose was not to leave them in the wilderness, right? His purpose was to take them to the, to the promised land, and that is the ultimate goal. However, there's some of us that grow up in the church, and, you know, we're pretty proud of the fact, well, I was never in Egypt. So, you know, this, I mean, doesn't really apply, right? You know, I I haven't been living in the world, and, you know, I was one of those um, good model students, really. I did what was right. I was friends with my teachers. I was a little crazy as a youngster wearing all my friends out, but I was a good kid. It wasn't like I was off doing crazy things. And um, 
So you don't really relate to those that have been in that Egypt experience and in the world. And, and there's kind of this subtle spiritual pride that begins to develop in your life as a result. I think many in the church, especially like Jim talked about, third, fourth generation, second generation, we just become complacent. We become lukewarm. We're used to things as they are in the church, and we grow up in this culture, especially if we're in the West, where we're just comfortable with the life we have. We're not pushed too much out of our comfort zone. One reason that I think it's so important that we actually do leave and go other places is because it pushes us out of our comfort zone, right? Because, yeah, maybe my own backyard needs to be cleaned, but, you know, it's a familiar territory and and we're more complacent. Whereas whereas if we follow God by faith to another place, we recognize, I don't have what I need to relate to this culture. You know, you go to a place where they speak a different language and all these different things, and so it's a whole new set of circumstances that really challenges you to trust God in a new way. But he's calling us to start with where we are, to be faithful with where we are. And um, so that's a lesson that he's he's really been seeking and and growing in my life. But I believe we live in a culture of Old Testament um, Christianity that has moved into modern-day wilderness Christianity. And we really need to pray for God to awaken us to our condition, to our poor, poor, wretched, um, poor, naked condition that we're told in Revelation 3. Many Christians are just barely surviving spiritually. Here's a quote that I have from Councils for the Church. Most professed Christians have no sense of the spiritual strength that they might obtain were they as ambitious, zealous, and persevering to gain a knowledge of divine things as they are to obtain the perishable things of this life. Many are satisfied to be spiritual dwarfs. That's the reality of our culture and our church and our society. We grow up in a church and things are comfortable. We're not really having persecution. Everybody's, I mean, it's kind of the cool thing to, to be part of youth group, to do this, to do that. But there's not really any definite stands that we have to take. We're not really challenged. And we just become kind of wimpy Christians, really, lukewarm Christians. And I believe God wants to to bring us out of that to be really strong for him. So this is a little bit of my testimony. Growing up in the church, um, I, you know, like I said, I was a good kid, but I struggled going to church uh, as a young person because I just felt like I just felt like it was a dead environment. I didn't really see a lot of life. Um, I saw people professing, da-da-da-da, but I didn't really see them living up to that in their lifestyle. And I saw how they treated one another. And you know what? That hurt more than anything. Watching professed Christians, how they related to one another. And as a result of that, some of my family members actually walked away from the church. And you know how painful that was? Like, you, you say you're whatever, you know, trying to reach the lost, and you can't even be nice to each other and love one another. And so seeing that, and we see that even today, was so difficult. And if we focus on what everyone is doing around us and how we're treating or how we are imperfect Christians, because we all are, we're going to lose our way. We have to learn to keep our eyes on Jesus, because he is the only one that will not fail us, that will not forsake us, that will not let us down, that that is always who he's supposed to be. Because we are imperfect, we live in an imperfect generation, we live in an imperfect church. And I praise the Lord that he doesn't cast us away because we're not the perfect role models that we're called to be. But I struggled going to church growing up. I didn't really like it. Um, Honestly, it would have been um, more attractive to do some other things, except the fact I, I loved God. I gave my life to Christ when I was young, and I wasn't really, you know, attracted to go off and, and live for the world. So it was kind of, you know, not really sure what to do. But I, I did decide to give my life to Christ, and I decided I was going to be a missionary, and I was going to start working for him. And I always loved adventure. I loved travel. I loved exploring and doing things. So I started traveling, doing mission trips here and mission trips there. And some of you have heard this testimony before. You know, a lot of the, the joy of the, of the missions was just the adventures that I had and the pictures that I brought home and the tales I could tell my friends about being in the jungle and doing this and doing that. But it wasn't really necessarily because my heart was for souls you know, I thought I was doing a good thing because I'm getting sta- stamps in my passport and all these different things, but it wasn't really for the love of um, souls. I mean, I felt like it was, but deep in my heart there was 
there was something missing. This, this quote from Christian Service has really opened my eyes. It says, could we see all the activity of human instrumentality as it appears before God? We would recognize that only the work accomplished by much prayer, which is sanctified by the merit of Christ, will stand the test of the judgment. Nothing apart from the merit of Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit, which comes in answer to prayer, is going to last. The fire comes, it burns. These things are not going to last. I wish I had recognized this earlier in my life. I would have, yeah, it would have been, um, well, a different story earlier. But you know, God has to allow us, I think, and he does allow us, to walk through our times of complacency and lukewarmness and trying to work in our own strength and all these things. And he allows us to come to a point where we finally break and recognize, I don't have what I need. I don't have what I need to live this life that he's called me to. I don't have what I need to be the person that he's calling me to be. Um, I desperately, desperately need Jesus. And I had to to walk through an experience. I kind of call it um, the dark night of the soul. And I think that that's a point that we come to in our walk, and some of you may have already experienced it, some of you may be going through it now, or you might in the future, where you have to come to a point, is this, is, is, is he really my savior? Is this Christianity experience really mine? Um, and especially when you have been challenged or you've gone through pain, and you're like, God, how could you allow this to happen? You know, Jim talked about that, going through an experience where he felt like, I'm serving you. I'm giving you my life. How could you allow such and such to happen? And basically, um, to kind of fast forward through a number of things, that's, that's what happened with me. I'm, I'm serving the Lord. I'm giving my youth to ministry. I'm doing what I know to do. Um, but I'm falling so short in so many ways. And I had to laugh when Jim said he said what he did about being on the Lord's team because you know what? I thought the same thing. I remember thinking this kind of subtle thing because I'm doing all these things. You know, I was very, very active. You know, the Martha and the Mary in the Bible? Martha's doing, 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 and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. And I was like totally Martha. And I still am Martha if I don't recognize my desperate need of Jesus because I'm a doer and a mover and a shaker. And like, like Jim, you know, we like to do and we like to have action. And that's how I was in, in my life in ministry. And I had this subtle spiritual pride that began to creep into my life. And I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow in tomorrow's session as we talk about heart preparation. But the spiritual pride that creeps in and, and says, you know, you know, because when I was a young person, um, all my friends would come to me, like in high school, I was the RA in the dorm, and they would come to me for advice, and had so many problems and struggles come to me, and I'd be like, I have struggles, but at least they're not like theirs, you know? And, and there's a spiritual pride, but I didn't even recognize how my struggle is actually the biggest struggle, because pride does not recognize its need. Pride thinks... I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm the Pharisee. I do this and this, and I don't do that. And, and, you know, we don't recognize our spiritual need. And so that's the struggle I had. It wasn't like I'm walking around like, oh, I'm better than you. It wasn't that at all. But it was a very subtle spiritual pride that I struggled with. And I remember thinking, you know, God's pretty fortunate he has me on his team. I'm serving him. I can so relate to what Jim just said. I'm serving him, and I'm giving him my energy and my life, and I mean, I could be doing this, and I could be out. I mean, if I wanted to be out making money, I could make money. You know, I, um, uh, after high school, I t- took a few years to do miscellaneous missions and ministry, but then I went to Southern Adventist University and, and um, graduated with nursing, became, became a registered nurse. And I, I took nursing specifically for ministry because I, I was expecting that I was going to go overseas to the mission field. Um, so I did nursing, I got involved in travel nursing, started making a lot of money in that because travel nurses make about twice the amount of a regular um, hospital nurse. Um, but I wasn't attracted to stay with that because my goal was, well, I want to use this for God. I, I had, 
you know, that motive of I want to use it for service. So money was not a huge pull for me, but it could have been. And I congratulate myself, you know, this isn't pulling me. I'm, but pride is an issue, and this is an issue, and this is an issue. So, you know, we have these different things. So um, God had to allow me to go through my own breaking experience. And um, I alluded a little bit to that testimony before we started. Um, a couple years ago at GYC, I shared my testimony, and I gave a message called Growing Above and Beyond Faith Even When God is Silent. And you can hear that message online if you go to Audioverse, and that will share that whole testimony. But God allowed me to go through this experience. really broke my heart. I felt like God had betrayed me. I felt like I couldn't trust him anymore. And I was the you know, good kid that always had all the answers, and then I didn't have any answers anymore because of this experience that I walked through. And I was really um, struggling. Like, God, how, how could you allow me to go through this? And it, it got so bad. Uh, at a point, um, I stopped praying. I stopped actively praying. I stopped seeking the Lord in, in, in his word. Now, the interesting thing, and I share this, there was about two or three years that I walked through this where I didn't really have a good walk with God. I tell people this testimony, you know, I stopped praying, I stopped reading word, I stopped memorizing. I still had a semblance of godliness, okay? So when I say that, it wasn't like I said, well, God doesn't exist anymore. I was still going through the motions. I'm still going to church. And most people around me had no clue what I was going through. So what I'm saying when I walked through this two or three years of just like stepping back, God, I don't trust you, I can't. I was still going to church and going through the motions and doing all the right things. I have my Bible open when the pastor says, and, you know, do this and that. So I looked like I was okay, but inside I wasn't. And it was only my family and very closest friends that knew that I just didn't trust God. I, how, can you, how can you pray? How can you um, be in his word and memorize the scripture when you don't trust him? Oh, my word, time's going so fast. I have so much to share. I'm thinking, I'm struggling so much preparing for this seminar. Jim and I are talking about it, and like, what, what am I going to share? What if they've heard it before? Where do I, you know, how do I include it? It's been a struggle pulling this together. So we don't have everything together even, even now. We come and we're just like, Lord, help us. Give us what we need for today. We'll share um, what you give us for today. Um, but then I get here and I'm like, oh, maybe I have too much. Anyway, so I'll keep going. So I went through this experience and it was really an experience that broke me at the cross. And I don't know if you have walked through this experience yourself. If you've been in the church all your life, we forget the significance of the cross, or we don't really recognize he died for me. He was broken for me. It's for me that he came because we hear it all our lives. We grow up with it. It's just like, and I was numb to that experience. And I remember as I'm going through this breaking experience and God began to bring me out of it, whole nother long testimony. God began to bring me out of this breaking experience. And, and, and I'm like, Lord, I don't even understand the cross. Can you show me? And then he began to break my heart at the cross, and he began to show me personally, do you recognize how desperately you need me? Do you recognize that my body was broken for you? Um, Not just because of what you do. I mean, yes, it was broken because of your pride and your lust and your self-sufficiency and all these things, but because you're a sinner in need of a Savior. I was broken for you. And when I recognized this for the first time, it just... I mean, I remember weeping and weeping and weeping, and it may have been an hour that I was crying. I was just like, Lord, I can't believe what you've done for me. How come I haven't recognized this all my life? And here I've been a Christian for years, and I'm just for the first time being broken at the cross. It was a transforming, revolutionary experience that really, I believe, started me on this new journey that has led me to where I am today. I believe that there's a couple times of broken. There's a brokenness um, because we're full of spiritual pride and we don't recognize our need. So the main thing is, is we're broken, but we don't know it. Okay? We're broken and we don't know it. There's another kind of broken. Neither one of these are good, by the way. We are a sinner. We know we've messed up. We're broken, but we don't believe that he has what, he, has what we need to save us. We are afraid to come to the cross because we don't deserve his mercy. But that's why we're supposed to come. Because we don't 
deserve. You know, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. That is what he's constantly trying to do, is to convince you, you do not deserve his mercy. Who do you think you are coming to look at what you've done? If people knew what you had done, you wouldn't be here. He's constantly trying to convince us we do not have a right to come. But the fact that we don't have a right to come is actually the qualification that gives us a right to come. I don't know if any of you here in this room today feel like you're in that wilderness experience, that dry experience where you're struggling, and you just feel like, I don't have what I need. And this is actually the perfect place, if that's where you are right now. This is actually the perfect place for you, because he came for you. He came for me. Our only claim to his mercy, we're told, in ministry of healing is our great need. That is our only claim to God's mercy. He came to save sinners of whom I am chief. So I walked through this experience, and this experience was really the birth of a new relationship in my walk with God. Um, And it was the birth of my falling in love with him like I never had. And how did that begin? Um, It actually began on my knees. As God broke me afresh, um, I remember just taking my Bible and reading my Bible, and, and looking at things in Scripture, and saying, God, you say such and such in your word. I want that to be a reality in my life. I want that fullness of joy. I want it to be a reality in my life. I don't have that. Lord, you say you know, that you come to give life and life more abundant, and you come to give us peace and, and strength and all these different things. And I just started looking at the Word of God, and claiming the promises, and I'm on my knees on my bed, crying, and I'm just going through the scriptures, and I'm like, Lord, teach me again what it means and how it means to walk with you and to live with you and to abide with you. And that's where the journey began. As I was in God's word, he began to bring a life and a freshness and a vibrance that I had never imagined before. Now, like I said, in the beginning, I had a good life. I look back on my, my early young adulthood. Um, I, was, I was a spiritual leader in my school. I was teaching scripture memory programs. I was doing all these things. I've memorized scripture and all these different things. So I had a good, you know, um, life, but I didn't have the abundant life that he comes to give us, and that's what he began to give me as I got into his word. Uh, about the time that God began to, he, he brought me out of this, I was in really, really severe depression for a little while in that dark period of time. Um, I just don't know what to do with this mic. Maybe I need to take off the scarf. It just keeps falling. We'll try this now. But as I was coming out of that, God led me to Loma Linda, Loma Linda, California. Now, I have to say there's a couple places in the United States that I never wanted to live anywhere near, and that was one of them. (laughs) But he brought me there, and praise the Lord, because it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. So I'm working as a a travel nurse in Riverside, California, living at Loma Linda. I became part of a young adult group, um, Advent Hope, at, at Loma Linda. And that's where things really began to take off with ministry. But I'm, I'm sharing this specifically to say, well, I was there. That I'm, I'm, on my, I'm on my knees reading my Bible, crying and praying and seeking the Lord. And I began praying, Lord, I mean, I don't want to just be a good person anymore. I want there to be fruit in my life. If I look back on the earlier part of my life, I don't really see a lot of fruit. I see a lot of wonderful adventures, a lot of passports, a lot of stamps in my passport. <laughs> A lot of passports in my stamp. How's that work? A lot of stamps in my passport and and wonderful things, but not fruit. And he says the purpose is to to bear fruit in our lives, right, for his glory. And so I started praying, Lord, I want there to be fruit. And teach me. And as he's teaching me, and of course I'm falling more in love with him, the natural result is you want to share, right? When God has done something good for you, as Jim was saying, You want to share it with your family and with your loved ones. And so I began this exuberance in my walk and and relationship with him. I began saying, Lord, teach me how to share. And it began to start with the hospital, with with my patients. I don't want to just be a good nurse, but Lord, teach me how to touch their lives in a way that will be eternally impactful. 
And so I became very active in, in seeking to pray with my patients and for my patients and looking for opportunities to share with them about God. And I had a lot of amazing adventures along the way. I remember um, one day I came to work at, at the hospital and <clears throat> I was supposed to be on the certain floor, but they moved me upstairs to another floor. And then they changed their mind and they moved me back downstairs, which is a little frustrating when you get report twice as a nurse and then you have to start all over again. Um, but that's what happens. The, the travel nurses kind of get shoved around, you know, where the holes are. But I get back downstairs, and one of my assignments that day was a girl who had tried to commit suicide. And nobody wanted to take care of her. So guess who gets to take care of her? Melody. Well, I'm immediately like, that's why I'm here. God brought me here for her today. And so it's just an illustration of some of the things that he did. And so uh, she was very violent, had a guard in the room with her. And it was uh, um, a struggle with her. But I, re- I was praying, Lord, please help me to know how to speak to her, help me to know how to share to her, and just open the doors. And I began praying. And sometime in the afternoon, um, she had kind of calmed down a little bit, and I asked the guard to step outside, and I went in and talked to her. And I said, you know, I started talking heart to heart. I said, you know that there's a reason why you didn't succeed in killing yourself? And she's like, why, you know? Um, and I said, it's because God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And I understand what it's like to, to kind of be in your situation. I haven't tried to take my life, but I've been in points where I wished that I could because I did not want to live. That's how dark it got for me. And I began to share with her my story, just how God had brought meaning and purpose into my life as I surrendered to him. And tears start to roll down her eyes. And she prayed with me that day. As a result of that, she didn't need the guard anymore. We were able to send the security person away. She was no longer violent. And I took care of her, I think, the rest of the week and, and probably a few days beyond that. And kept praying with her and just saying, Lord, please do something in this girl's life. <clears throat> well, after she was leaving the hospital to go to drug rehab, she had tried to overdose and had come from the drug scene. Oh, and, and backing up to this whole situation, this was really interesting because I had been reading testimonies to grow my faith and my walk with God, and I'm reading these stories, and I'm like, Lord, I'm praying for fruit. I want this type of thing. And I had been reading a story, I think it's um, Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pullinger. She's a missionary that went into Hong Kong and the drug lords in Hong Kong and all the different things, and miraculous how God used her, just this little tiny woman to calm these, these dens that are just full of drug addicts and different things. It's an amazing story. So I'm reading this, and I'm like, you know, well, I don't think I'm quite ready to go there at this point in my life. Um, but, you know, I don't even, I mean, I don't even know drug addicts. You know, this isn't even the, t- the people that I associate with. And so I was praying, you know, like, Lord, teach me how to love these type of people. Because you know what? I don't have love for these type of people. I mean, I'm cushy and comfortable, and yes, I want to be a missionary and stuff like that, but I don't even have this type of love. So this was a prayer that I was praying as God is growing me in my walk with him, and guess what? I run into this girl. And so I'm just praying, Lord, just just use me in this time. So as she leaves to go to rehab, I did something you're not supposed to do. I gave her my contact information. And I said, I want to know what happens to you. Let me know after you get out of rehab. Um, fast forward five or six weeks, I get a phone call from this girl. And she's getting out of rehab. And she says, I'm, you know, heading back up to such and such and not sure what I'm going to do. And I was asking her where she was going to stay. And she didn't really have a place to stay. All of her friends are into drugs. And I'm like, here we go, just down the same road again. And so I was praying, and I just felt impressed right there. I was like, do you want to come live with me? And she's like, what? (laughs) And um, I said, yeah, but you have to do everything I do. You have to eat what I eat. You have to go where I go. You have to exercise when I exercise. You have to, you know, all these different things. She had no idea what she was getting into. (laughs) She'd never heard of Seventh-day Adventists before. Coming into a home, I have no television, you know, any of this type of stuff. I'm very active, active in the church there in Loma Linda and stuff. I remember the first time I took her to Advent Hope Sabbath School there in Loma Linda, and she has all her her piercings and her rings and everything. And I was singing in the choir. They had invited people to come up and sing in the choir. And it wasn't necessarily that everyone had rehearsed. It was kind of an impromptu thing. She's like, can I go up and sing with you? And I'm like, sure. (laughs) 
you guys better not say anything. <laughs> yeah, so she comes up with me, and she just, she just you know, um, jumped right in with us. Anyway, God really blessed. She lived with me for about three or four months that summer. As, as, as um, the story went, right at the time she was getting out of rehab, I had actually finished a nursing contract. So I, I would work for a few months, and then I would take a month or two off. And I think I was actually on a six-month leave during that time just doing ministry projects and stuff. So I actually had the time to babysit this girl and walk with her through the depression recovery program and do these different things. Anyway, God blessed in our interaction. She ended up moving on later than that, um, later on, got remarried, and has been clean, I think, basically since. Has three children now and is married. And God's still working in her life. You know, I would love to say she's a Seventh-day Adventist. She's not, but you know what? She still tells me sometimes, happy Sabbath. <laughs> you know, God plants, you know, we plant seeds. God has to bring the fruit and bring things. But these are the type of experiences um, that begin to happen, and I'm just praying, Lord, take me deeper. Show me how to be a witness. So I'm, I'm, I'm having these amazing divine appointments with my patients I never dreamed of having. I have doctors that, that want to hear about the great controversy. I'm giving great controversies to. When do, since when do doctors you know, want to know about your spiritual walk, you know. Um, and I was praying for opportunities, and I got opportunities to witness and share with doctors. And so a lot of amazing things began happening. So this is really my faith journey growing, and my prayer ministry beginning was in, in the own personal um, prayer closet with God. God begins to pull me um, out of nursing. I'm not sure if I'm quite yet there in the story. Um, I think I might be. Where opportunities are beginning to open um, for more prayer ministry and different things. I think I'm, I may have part of the story here a little out of sync. Um, but he, he walked me through the process of saying, can you walk away from this and just serve me full time? And at the point that that happened, I really didn't have an option because I had so many ministry options, so many things begging my attention. It's like I can't keep working and doing what God's calling me to do. And so it was easy to move forward. But as my journey of faith is continuing, I'm, I'm praying the Word of God. We're going to talk more about that later on in the seminar. And I remember looking at Matthew 6.33, and it says, Take no thought what ye shall eat or drink. Mm, take no thought. That means I shouldn't really be stressing about these things, right? I shouldn't really be stressing about my bills and how I'm going to do this and how I'm going to do that. And so I began putting those needs on a list, and I called it my take-no-thought list. And I would give God that take-no-thought list. Lord, I, I, I trust you with this take-no-thought list. And I would focus on ministry. And something I was praying during this period of time, I want to see an answered prayer every day in my life. Um, you know, I want, to, I want to see you working in my life every day. And I would write my prayer requests down on these colored pieces of paper, and I would put Bible verses on the other side of them. And when they were answered, I'd fold them up and put them in a jar. And this is a little lengthy testimony, which I don't have time to share. But I began, when I challenged God, I said, Lord, I want to see you working in my life every single day, answered prayer. And not just, thank you for waking me up this morning. Okay, praise the Lord, I have another answered prayer. I'm alive today. (laughs) Not those type of answered prayers, you know, more significant. God began doing it every single day. Um, Special uh, answers to prayer. And um, that is actually a photo of, of those answered prayers as they begin to, to stack up in my life and how encouraging uh, for my faith that was. And I actually did that for two years and never once did he fail me. Every day I saw an answer prayer. Sometimes I saw four or five or more. So I'm kind of fast-forwarding um, here along, along the, the way Army Bible Camp had started, and I think... Um, again, that's a little bit later on in the testimony, but God was leading and opening doors in prayer ministry. I began to, um, work with the prayer ministry and training churches and doing different events. And like Jim talked about, we had teams going all over Philippines and different countries. And, um, along the way, I was asked to write, um, to write a book on prayer for the church. Now here comes in the pride factor again, because I love to write. It was like something like when I was a kid, I was writing books. 12 years old, I was writing a book, you know. I was writing publishing magazines when I was 12 years old. And I had, I had like 20 subscribers to my magazine too. Just friends around the community, you know. And it was just a black and white magazine. But I was so proud of myself. You know, so this was something I was very interested in as a young person. And then I got into high school 
I continued to write, and into college, I, wore, I won awards on writing. And um, so my dream um, was kind of the Anna Green Gables dream. <laughs> I want to be an author, you know. So that was something I was really excited about. And then God opens the door, it seems like, to write a book. I was so excited. But you know what? I couldn't do it. Here, I have this wonderful opportunity finally at my fingertips. I'm working in prayer ministry, and and the church is recognizing me more and the talents that I have, and they've asked me to write a book, and I can't do it. And I struggled with this for like three years until I came to the point where I'm like broken again, afresh, like, Lord, forgive me for thinking that I could do this. There's lots of other people out there you know that are more qualified or whatever to do this. I can't do this. I just give this to you. And I'm fast-forwarding story because I don't have time to share all the details. But came to the point of brokenness. I give you my dream. I, you know, Jim gave God his photography. But God is still using and blessing people through his photography. But he surrendered that to God. You know, that was his. And I had to do the same with my writing. Like, Lord, this is yours. I'm sorry. And so, long story, shortened. Um, I gave that to God, and I was broken and basically felt like I couldn't do it. And I was fasting and praying, what next? And that is actually when God brought the inspiration for the book. And it came very quickly, and it came in such a way that I knew it wasn't me. It was God. I remember reading some of the chapters as, uh, after um, writing and daring to ask for more and crying. And I'm like, I didn't write this. I mean, God brought this together. This is a message I need. It's not preaching to the, you know, it's for me. And so it was such an amazing miracle. I really um, struggle with the fact that my name is on the book because I know that it's God's miracle and how he brought that. In the process, as this whole was journey was, was starting, um, was when I went completely by faith living as far as no money, no income, no nothing. Because I had been making very well as a travel nurse, and then God calls me more and more into the prayer ministry as things had taken off with Army. And then, um, and then the, the money I was receiving through the ministry was completely cut. And so I had nothing. And I was like, well, the temptation is to go back to nursing, right? Because you can make well and you can make fast. But I won't have time then to work and do the ministry God's called me. So what do I do? And I was struggling, and I'm just like, Lord, I know that you, you know, he's, he's giving me the inspiration now to do this and to write and move forward. I know that you're going to provide, and I'm just going to trust you. And I'm not going to tell a single soul that I've lost my income. My parents didn't know. My best friends didn't know. Nobody knew that Melody no longer had any paycheck from any ministry or anything. And I was just like, you say you're going to be my husband? I want to see you prove it. <laughs> I mean, you've been faithful. This isn't, like I'm, this isn't like a mocking God, but it's like I'm proving your word. You say, okay, Lord, now's the time. I'm putting your word to the test. I want to see it true in my life. And so I'm, I'm just beginning claiming the promises and going forward with what he's calling me to do. And that very month, people started writing me out of the blue. I remember this one couple wrote me. I had no clue who they were, but they had met me somewhere, and they're like, we've been watching your ministry, and we've been convicted to start supporting you as our missionary. Um, here in the States, sent me a check for $450. Someone else wrote me out of the bruise, sent me 100 Here, here. God began to bring it in from all these different ways. I had no idea, no expectation. He began to pay my bills month by month by month. Um, I didn't lack. I, was, uh, I didn't have to cut the giving that I was already doing. Um, it was just amazing. And I remember about six or seven months into that journey telling my mom I couldn't keep it to myself anymore. Do you know how I've been paying my bills, how God has been providing for me? Because my parents, they're amazing. They're the most generous people in the whole world. They don't have a lot of money, but they are so giving. You know, some of the most giving people are actually the people that are kind of poor, I've discovered. (laughs) Anyway, and so they were always, I mean, my whole life I remember growing up, and they're always taking in somebody, they're taking care of somebody. Um, and at the time, they had a single mom. We had a single mom with eight children living with my family. And that's the kind of people they are. And, and she lived with our family for three years. She moved on, and then we had another single mom live with our family. And she lived with our family for another three years, and she moved out six months ago. So my family always has. They're very giving. And so 
also when it comes to their children, you know, it's like if you're struggling, they'll sacrifice, bend over backwards to help you. And I didn't want them to have to do that. I wanted them to see that God could take care of me. So I put him to the test. So six or seven months into this journey, I was like, do you know what God's been doing? And I shared with them and it was just like, wow, praise the Lord. You know, he's the one that's responsible for us. He calls us, he equips us, he provides. If he's calling you, he can do it. Um, What's that? Um, Something, God's bill. If it's his will, it's his bill. Something like that, yeah. That's what I saw happening literally. Like, um, we can pray this confidently. This is not for our own glorification. This is not for our own luxury. But when we are seeking to do the will of God, what we need to do the will of God, he doesn't always give us our wants, I admit, but he does provide our need, and, he, and the need is sufficient. What he gives is sufficient and more than sufficient. I look back over these years that God took me on this journey of faith, which was actually about four years that I had no regular income. It was all just from these random places. I never knew the next month how my bills were going to be paid. But God provided. So this is the journey of faith that God is taking me on. There's a lot of stories that I could share about how he provided. Um, But through this process, he's also teaching me about the power of intercession. And that prayer is not just for my own needs so that I can pay my bills or so that I can find something that I've lost or so I can, you know, do this or that. It's for the glory of God that souls would be brought to him and that souls would be brought to the foot of the cross. Only in the light of eternity can we rightfully estimate the loss of a single soul. And so um, God is teaching me um, what it means to be an intercessor. What does it mean to be an intercessor? Actually, if we look at Ezekiel 22:30, we see the Lord saying, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap for the land that I should not, de- that I should not destroy it, but I found none. He's looking for people to stand in the gap. Now, standing in the gap is not easy. If you are someone that is willing to be an intercessor or stand in the gap, you know Christ was our intercessor. He stood in the gap for us. That was not easy. We have to be willing to be inconvenienced. And this is what God is taking me on this journey of what does it mean to be an intercessor? What does it mean to go all out for him? And God is growing my own personal prayer life, my own personal walk with him and faith in his word. And then he begins calling me to more aggressive prayer. And that's when, um, still living in Loma Linda at the time, he convicted me and um, my roommates, one of my roommates, we need to be going and praying around um, our youth hall, which at the time was Burden Hall in Loma Linda, ad- where Advent Hope met. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Advent Hope in Loma Linda, but just great, great experience there. So my, my roommate and I would go at 4 o'clock in the morning, in the dark, and we would go from probably half an hour or so and just pray on the steps of Burden Hall. And I remember security coming by and like, and we had our blankets around us, thought we were homeless or something like that. What are you doing? It's okay, we're just praying. We're praying for the church. It's okay. So we would do that. And that's when God really began this journey uh, for me in, in intercession. I have more testimonies I could share what God did in my own family and home, but I'm going to kind of skip past that. Along the way of teaching me uh, intercession, I remember an experience happened one time. Um, and I don't know that I had actually, I, I hadn't written Daring to Ask yet when this story happened. So these, these stories are, um, like I said, I was struggling <laughs> what to share this morning and how to put them together. But anyway, I had a phone call from somebody, and uh, a pastor and his wife, and they were expecting a baby. But she was, looked like going into premature labor, looked like she was going to lose the baby. And so he said, would you pray? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll pray. So I prayed, but what is your normal thing, you know, when somebody calls you with, you know, you pray, but then life goes on, right? Okay, I prayed. I did my prayer. Now life goes on. But God really convicted me at this point. You need to keep praying. You don't just stop praying. You pray until you see, you know, God answer. In some way, you keep praying. And so are you willing to be inconvenienced? And that was the question for this unborn child. So I prayed every hour throughout the day. I, I stop and pray for this unborn baby. And then it got nighttime. And at this point in my life, I had never prayed 
through the night by myself. I had done it with other groups, but never by myself. Now, you know how Christ, we know, prayed through the night, and we see stories of intercession. This is something I've been praying for. I'm like, Lord, teach me how to be an intercessor for you. Teach me how to pray through the night. Teach me to have that love for others. So these are prayers that I've been praying. And you know, when you pray these prayers, God's going to give you experiences to answer those prayers. What are you doing? You're praying for patience and everything happens to test your patience, right? That's what happens. I'm praying, teach me how to be an intercessor. Teach me how to, and then God gives me this opportunity and I'm like, okay. And so I'm praying and I'm praying and you're, you're asking me to pray through the night for this baby? And so I'm struggling, and I'm like, you know, are you willing to give up, you know, uh, sacrifice a night of sleep for an unborn child? That's what God was impressing in my heart. And so I did. I prayed through the night, and I'm just claiming the Bible promises and and different things. Um, And uh, the next day, still nothing's happening. Keep praying, praying. This went on for like five days. Now, this is kind of a little sad story, just to warn you what happens but such a growing experience for me. About the fifth day, one of my friends was praying with me for this child, and she prayed, Lord, you know what's happening with this child. If this child um, is, is not going to live for your glory and honor, or there's some health struggles or something like that, and it would be for your glory to let it rest and give the baby to them in heaven, then let that be, but give the parents peace. Well, the parents had peace, and the baby was born, but it was stillborn. And I remember when that happened, I was just broken. I was like, Lord, I mean, it brings tears to my eyes now, and this is years ago that it happened. Lord, we prayed and prayed. How could you let that baby die? We prayed, we wrestled. Like, I've never prayed so hard for anything in my life. Is this an unborn child? I don't know. Why did you let this baby die? And I remember the Holy Spirit just speaking to my heart and, and mine in the process and like, Melody, do you know how my heart breaks for the unborn? And not just the unborn child, but the unborn people around the world that have not experienced me, that have not tasted me. This was not just for an unborn child that I was teaching you to pray. This is for the unborn adults and youth and people that don't know me. You need to learn to have a broken heart for them. And I just remember... Oh, I was just so broken, so hard. But this experience, the reason I share this experience is I feel like it was the beginning of my deeper experience with God when it came to intercession. And I still don't understand his heart. Trust me, I don't. But he gives us little glimpses of our inadequacy, our weakness, and how he wants to take us deeper. And I think that's what we need to pray for, that he would break us, and that he would give us his heart for the lost. Because we don't have it. We're self-sufficient, we're comfortable, as long as me and my sphere and my family's okay. I feel bad, yes, I'll pray, I'll pray for you. But then life goes on, and we don't pray through. We're not out there praying. Think about this, if everyone was praying for the lost person on the street, as much as you're praying for them, would anybody be saved? Think about that. If everyone was praying like you pray, would anyone be saved on the street? We need to ask that God will give us a deeper experience and a deeper heart. So this journey is growing me um, personally. And along the way, God started, um, God opened the doors for the uh, beginning of Army Bible Camp and some of you may be familiar, Army Bible Camp's a wonderful, wonderful ministry. Started through the inspiration of Pastor Ivor Myers, teaching people how to study the Bible and get into the Word. And prayer became a vital part of Army. And that's how Jim's life um, has been changed. That's what led me into prayer ministry. And, and we just have so many, so many miracles and testimonies that we could share. Um, the ministry started in 2009, and since then God has miracle after miracle, every camp. I mean, it started, I remember Melissa, the same girl that he talked about, the very first army um, that we had. She, she came, she was one of the team members, and she's like, um, we, need to, we need to start the, the, the conference with a morning prayer time. Well, what time? Six, six o'clock in the morning. That's a little early, don't you think? 
I mean, we're just hoping people will come for the 7 o'clock devotion, but you want them to come and pray at 6 o'clock in the morning? And I was one of the ones that was objecting. <laughs> I mean, it was like, well, people don't have to come, but we can offer it, right? So we ended up doing this, and people came. First it was 20, then 40, then 100, and people began praying, and we see the Holy Spirit being poured out, lives being changed, marriages that were on the brink of divorce that were healed. I remember the young person that Jim mentioned who didn't think she could pray for more than five minutes. Her life was changed. She goes home and starts two prayer groups in her church. I think she was 14 or something like that. And God is changing lives, and he's bringing healing. And it was just amazing. And what we saw happening as we combined time in the Word and time in prayer, it's just like adding dynamite to, to fire. Uh, or fire to dynamite, whichever way it works. It's explosive. <laughs> whichever way it works. You know, but we're told our house is to be called a house of prayer for all nations. But think about the prayer in our own lives and the prayer in our church. How little we actually pray. Our house is to be houses of prayer. We are to be many houses of prayer. We are the temple where the Holy Spirit abides, and we walk around. We are a house of prayer everywhere we go. That is what God is calling us to be. But so often, that's not what we are. We're a house of entertainment. We're a house of this. We're a house of that, but not a house of prayer. If there's anything that Satan does not want you to do, it is to be in your private prayer closet, on your knees. And if there's something more that he does not want you to do, it's he does not want you to pray with your family and your closest around you. And if there's something he absolutely abhors, is when he sees churches praying. If ever there was a time that we need to be praying, it's now. It's now as a church. So we saw so many amazing miracles and answers to prayer and testimony, uh, and testimonies in answer to prayer. And it's changed my life. And it's changed Jim's. Now, in the process, God had already been leading me on my own personal prayer journey before the Army Bible Camp journey started, and I got to be part of that. Um, and it was just an amazing uh, seeing how God worked. But it's been such a journey. Let's see here if I can start to close and summarize a few more things up before I end. In 2012, I always like to start the new year as I begin a new year. I say always. In 2012, I was convicted to start the new year as, um, with prayer and fasting, just specifically for my own walk with God. You know, maybe 10 days, maybe 20 days, just seeking a closer walk with God. And just to say that didn't mean I was starving myself. I fasted from certain things, and God blessed as a result. More on that later. We'll talk about that more later. 2012, I started this. God convicted me as I was praying and fasting. He says, Melody, you need to go and fast and pray for the church. You know, like the world church. And I'm like, what does that look like? (laughs) And, you know, why don't you take a group to Silver Spring, Maryland, to the General Conference headquarters and pray for the leaders? If there ever is a time that our leaders need prayer, it's now. You know, the story of Moses up on the hill and and Joshua and the people are down in the valley and the battle's happening and Moses holds up his hands and, and they're getting victory and his hands go down and they're not and he needs somebody to hold up his arms. And that's what God's calling us to do is to hold up the arms of our church and of our leaders and those in ministry, your local conference, your local pastors, if there's anybody that's being hit, it's them. So God convicted me, and so I didn't know how this was going to happen. But fast-forwarding the story, six months later, God brought a group of us, eight of us, to the general conference to pray. And that was our only task, 21 days to fast and pray on behalf of the church. And this was a completely behind-the-scenes, under-the-ground operation. When we went the first time, I didn't want anybody to know. We're just, you know, we would go in at 3 o'clock in the morning, into the general conference, and of course God had to arrange all the details so we could even get passes to go into the building, because you can't just walk in there if you want. (laughs) You have to get permission and and badges and and, and security clearance. But anyway, God had already been paving the way for this, because in 2010 they had asked me to bring a prayer team to the general conference to pray. So we'd had prayer teams there, but now we're there for 21 days to fast and pray, and we're going in every morning at 3 o'clock in the morning. We'd spend three or four hours praying through the building in each department, praying for everyone that worked there. And then we'd leave before people came to work, so nobody really knew except the people who, you know, Jerry and Janet Page and others who allowed us in. We began to see miracles and answers to prayer behind the scenes. I remember one time one of my teammates was praying. It was 3.45 in the morning, and she's like, Lord, if there's anybody here that's not walking with you as they should, because there were a couple things we were praying. One was praying um, 
you know, give them a deeper experience with you because we get so busy in ministry that we lose our connection with you. So that's one thing we're praying. But another thing we're praying is, you know, there are people that are serving, but they're not really converted. They need that. Anyway, they're not walking with God as they should. So one of my teammates is praying, Lord, wake them up. Um, 345, wake them up. If, you know, they need to get on their knees and repent and confess. And so we keep walking and praying. And that very day on one of our church websites, this person posted, they said, 345 this morning, I woke up out of my sleep and I was overcome with a conviction of my sins. And I got on my knees and confessed and repented and asked God to do a new work in my heart. And I encourage all of you to do the same. That's something somebody shared that day. Was that just random? No. I believe God was giving us little evidences. We're not going to know until eternity, really, how God answers our prayers. You're praying for different things. You're not going to know on this side of heaven sometimes how God works in answer to prayers. But he began to show us. And it was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I know I'm um, out of time here. But if two of you shall agree is touching anything that they ask, it shall be done. This is the promise that he gives us. And the miracles and the answers that we saw in answer to these prayers was just amazing. So this was really, um, you can see how the progression, how God led me. He had to break me He had to lead me to my own private prayer closet and my own uh, experience with him and prayer in the word. And then he began to give the ministry. Did I go seeking after prayer ministry? No. That was not my goal. I would have never in a million years expected to be in prayer ministry with the world church now. I would never. That was not my aim. (laughs) God led each step of the way as I faithfully, faithfully followed. And, and again, there are so many testimonies I could share, and maybe I'll incorporate some, some more of those maybe into coming sessions. But we saw God working in the hearts of leaders. We saw leaders taking prayer in a greater way back to their own divisions. We saw miracles. I remember the West Central African Division, they were struggling in tithe this one year. They were bringing in like 23% tithe. And so we're praying with them, and they were really inspired that they needed to be praying more as a division. They went back. The next year, they came back with a new report for the treasure, 103% tithe. This is a division with over 3 million people. And look at what God did. And it was because they got on their knees and prayed, and they were seeking revival and reformation. So God is working. You know, you um, where you are, you may feel like you're a little distance from the church. You don't necessarily understand what's going on in the church. You hear a lot of confusing things that are going on. I want to assure you, coming from the front lines from where I work, that God is working with his church. He's not failed us. You may not always understand. You may not always agree. But you know, if there's something that you need to be doing on behalf of our church, it's praying. And I praise the Lord. He's working all around the world. It's just been so inspiring um, to see that it's not just our little group here, um, but it's all around the world. I see how he's breaking hearts. This is last year's GYC. This is the video that we were supposed to show last night that didn't happen. But um, this is the morning prayer time, and that's what it looked like here basically this morning in this prayer room. It's just beautiful seeing what God is doing. You know, so he's given us a glimpse of the promised land. I've tasted and seen, and like Jim says, I have to share. Like you guys, you have to understand what God has given us in the gift of prayer and a relationship with him and time in his word. If we only understood, we would be like, why why am I wasting my time on the superficial? Why am I wasting my time on this entertainment or this or that? God's, what he has for us is so much more abundant. So that's a a glimpse of my testimony. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And prove him. Take him at his word. And he's going to do amazing things. So we look forward to sharing uh, more with you in the coming days. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And then for anybody that wants that postscript to the story that I mentioned, I'll take another five minutes and tell you that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your goodness and for your mercy. We just praise you for how you have led, how you have worked, and that you're so patient with us even when we um, are not doing what we should do. We're not trusting you as we should. Father, we are undeserving, but Father, we thank you for your righteousness, for your blood that covers us, and we thank you, Father, for what you are going to do as we continue to walk forward in faith. Thank you, Father. We love you in your precious name. Amen. So feel free 
Um, just to just to share a postscript, and those that want to leave, just go ahead and leave, but maybe leave quietly. Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Is that off? Okay. I don't actually care if it's recorded. It's fine. I don't. It just what I'm going to share doesn't totally go with the prayer seminar. So a couple years ago, I shared a testimony just about my own journey when it came to romantic relationships and not understanding what God was doing in my life. And it's been a very, very long journey for me. Started when I was very young. Trusted God. Said, Lord, you know. Oh man, I forgot. I was going to give. I was going to give you some books. Um, don't everybody rush up. <laughs> If you stay for a minute, you might get a book. Um, For those that don't have daring to ask for more, we actually have some books for you. But anyway, um, so God led me through a long journey, and it's not over yet. The story's not over. But a couple years ago, for those of you that were here, I actually introduced you to somebody, to a really wonderful, godly man. And the reason that I introduced you to him was because I thought I was going to marry him. That was, we were already planning, we were already, we hadn't announced it yet, but we were actually already making plans for a wedding. And for somebody who's waited their entire life for this to happen, of course, you know, you can't wait to share the good news, right? Um, and I, he, he was my first boyfriend. As those of you that have heard the testimony, you want to hear the full testimony, go and hear the story. Um, trusting God, growing above and beyond faith, even when he's silent. It's on Audioverse. You can hear the testimony. Um, anyway... So God's walked me through this journey. This man walks into my life. It seems like it's the way that God's leading. And we were together for almost a couple years, planning to get married. I introduced him here at GYC and was just really excited. So we're just getting close to announcing this officially. And I began praying, Lord. I mean, I've been praying the whole time. But now I'm like, Lord, I'm about to marry this man. If this, if we are not supposed to be together, please stop it now. Show us because otherwise we're going forward. And this is a very, very serious thing. You know, you're in courtship. What is the purpose of courtship? The purpose in courtship is to decide, is this the person you want to marry? Or, you know, it's not just play. This is not just so I can have a boyfriend. I mean, I didn't, I didn't wait till my forties. I'm in my forties now. I didn't wait till I'm 40, just have a boyfriend. (laughs) You know, I want to make sure it's the one that God has. So I'm praying. And it was after that, that God made it very clear to both of us that we were not to stay together. And it was heartbreaking for me because I'm like, why did it start if we weren't supposed to stay together? Because I had this very idealistic, perfectionistic purpose. When it happens for me, it's going to be perfect. And this and this and this. And I think that that's another way that God has had to allow me to walk to be broken. It doesn't mean that that's what it needs to be for everyone. I really believe that God wants to do this right in our lives. It doesn't have to be broken. Okay, don't post this on social media, okay? You can share it with your friends. Don't post this on social media. But anyway, but when God, I think God has to allow us to be broken, and he does. And so this was part of my breaking experience was in the area of relationships. And it was difficult for a few months after that because I was all over again. This happened in 2016. Um, the beginning of 2017, so two years ago, basically, right now, two years ago is when this happened. And I was just like, and I even announced it to the world, to people at GYC, why did I do this? And God's like, Melody, you just have to trust me, you know? Allow yourself to be broken, allow yourself to be humbled, but recognize I'm good, I know what I'm doing, no good thing will I withhold from them that walk uprightly, I am good. So God's been leading me on a new journey, we parted in peace, we're still friends, He's a wonderful man. I, I respect him. He respects me. It's, it's very good. But God made it clear that we were moving on. And so God is walking me through this process. And now he's been teaching me, you can't see the end of the story, but can you praise me even when you can't see the end of the story? And so he's taken those tears and that pain away. I'm not crying anymore. Like, okay, when is it going to be right? When is it, you know, Lord, my prayer, if I can be of more service to you as a single woman, you say you're my husband, keep me single. And if you have someone I know at the right time, it will be, but I'm praising you in the middle of the story, even though I cannot see the end. So that's my testimony. Praise him in the middle of the story. 
and I have a lot more I could share, but that's a nutshell. I just wanted to, since I announced it publicly, I wanted to share a little postscript to what happened because people are asking, what happened to that guy? <laughs> he's, uh, he's doing well, and God's continuing to bless his ministry, and I know he's working with mine as well. But wherever you are in that journey, trust God. Or wherever circumstances that don't make sense, trust God. He knows what he's doing. So we look forward to seeing you tomorrow. And um, yeah, if you want to daring to ask for more, you can have. Okay? So blessings. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.